Welcome to a new episode of Good People Talk, the monthly podcast of the Good People Fund. This is where GPF's good people, those turning creative vision into reality, come to talk about their impact. This episode, Kara Solomon, founder and executive director of Everyday Boston, describes how the art of deriving and telling life stories can be the great connector empowering individuals on the edges of society, bridging divides in communities, and advancing social justice. Everyday Boston is a GPF grantee. For more information, visit goodpeoplefund.org. Here's Kara in conversation with GPF co-founder and executive director, Naomi Eisenberger. What were you seeing in your life or in the world around you that made you realize that there was a community need and and a void that needed to be addressed. I used to be a newspaper reporter for the Seattle Times and the Hartford Current. And over the course of several years, I heard a lot of concerns, particularly from people of color, but really people across the board about the way that the media was representing or not representing uh, their neighborhoods and the damage that that was doing to the way that other people saw their neighborhoods and the way that people inside their neighborhoods saw themselves. You know, there was a sense of resignation and hopelessness, I think, about about the narratives that were circulating around. Um, And at a certain point, I just felt, uh, once I had moved out of the newsroom and and was doing some freelance journalism, I just felt that, that it was no longer enough for me to keep parachuting into neighborhoods and writing about people whose stories I thought should be amplified, that it was far more important and effective to actually give people a tool Um, And that is the tool of interviewing um, that they could use to represent the city that they see and push their own sort of narrative of who lives in Boston and and how they live for themselves and not just rely on the media uh, to do that. So so that's really essentially I had this idea, but I think it's really important to, to note that I had no interest in pushing it on anybody. And so um, really sort of talked to a bunch of different community advocates in in the city of Boston and said, you know, once I had moved back here, was this actually, uh, is this a good idea or is this no good? Because if it's no Mm -hmm. good, we're not doing it. I have no no interest in doing it. And, um, And they said, no, we really need these stories and we need the kind of community building that can come from people sitting down and interviewing each other about their lives and representing the city in this way. And so, so that's really how it began. It was myself and four community leaders in some of the most marginalized neighborhoods in Boston. And we started it in the community center and ended up, you know, uh, growing the organization over rice and beans, you know, over uh, in someone's apartment. And that's really, that's really how it began. Uh, what was it within your DNA that, you know, clearly you were a journalist, but what else brought you to this? It's interesting. I've thought about that before. Um, now that I'm in this ecosystem of nonprofit leaders, so many of whom I deeply admire, and a lot of them have track records of leadership. That wasn't me. So it wasn't, I will tell you, I will start out by saying what it wasn't. It wasn't a drive to lead an organization. Really what it was, I think it goes back to when I was a teenager and something happened that happened then. So when I was 19, I was diagnosed with cancer. Ended up having to drop out of college and, and move back home, live with my, my mother. It was an incredibly isolating uh, year for me. I was surrounded by people who loved me and whom I loved um, and, and felt very alone and misunderstood. 
um, and felt like I didn't belong. And the thing that really brought me back into the world was actually listening to seeking out and listening to other people's stories, um, not the stories of people who were surrounding me. It was the stories of people I never knew. <laughs> it was people on the street. It was people I, I found myself in different jobs where I was talking to to folks who'd who'd gone through um, really rough times, had had their lives torn apart overnight, sort of as as I had with that diagnosis. Um, and so we had come, we had grown up in very different environments, had very different plot lines in our lives, but we were experiencing this this very human thing, which is um, loss and challenge and uh, feeling like you don't belong. And so in those stories, I came back into the world through those stories, um, really. And I became a reporter and I had the skills, I developed the skills and I had the opportunity every single day to hear the stories of how people got through life, their triumphs and you know their tragedies and, and just how they walked through the world. And it gave me so much that I think it planted the seed for Everyday Boston because what Everyday Boston has become, um, it started out very much as a story collecting project, really addressing this lack of representation in the media. And it has grown into a community building organization where we're using stories as the tool to help people um, develop the skills to communicate with people they don't know or don't understand, and then giving them the opportunity to sit down with those people and, and actually share stories about the thing we've all got in common, which is life. As you listen to other people's stories, did you come to appreciate that as bad as your situation might be, there were others who experienced worse? There were things that I struggled with psychologically having had having cancer, but um, one of them was not a sort of, oh my God, I can't believe this happened to me. This is the worst thing that has happened that could happen. I yeah. never believed that. I always had a sense that people had it way worse. I think I was looking for sort of life lessons and guidance and strength and inspiration. And I found it and and really community. Like, you know, in our daily lives, we don't we're not able to necessarily sit down and talk about the, the deepest things in our lives and our deepest fears and hopes um, in an easy way. Uh, and through those conversations, and particularly that I had as a reporter, um, I was given the opportunity to do that and understand life and connect to life and connect to other people in a way that just made me feel a part of a bigger picture. It was such a gift. Um, I just didn't feel as alone. And I just, I want that for everybody. And that's really what Everyday Boston's about. You came up with the name Everyday Boston. Why? So there's something called the Everyday Projects. Um, and it grew, it's a, it's a movement that grew out of Instagram. It was some photo photojournalists um, who were working in Africa. And they were really tired of all the, the images that were coming out of Africa, felt like they were full of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, felt like they were not depicting the, the richness and, and the range of, of African countries. And so they started taking pictures of everyday life. And so they created Everyday Africa and it caught on. And so it's an Instagram sort of um, driven, their everyday Pakistan, everyday, you know, Chicago, every, every, everyday everything. And when I, you know, came up with this idea and started working, you know, founded Everyday Boston with this group, it just felt Everyday Boston felt like the right title because it was the spirit of what we were doing. It was sort of pushing back against stereotypes. We like to say at Everyday Boston, stereotypes divide us, stories connect us. What's happening on Instagram is happening through visuals. You know, they're, they're pushing back against stereotypes and connecting people 
through visuals. Um, we're doing it differently. We're doing it offline mostly and through actual, through stories. Why is it such a powerful force? What's clear is that stories have always been in our DNA as humans. It's, it's really, you know, it's how we learned about the world dating back from the days we were all living in caves, you know, drew, you know, drew stories on the wall to, to learn about what was, what was happening in life. It's the way that we broaden our horizons. It's the way that we connect with other people. There are studies that show that, you know, when you listen to a good story, your brain parts of your brain light, light up, you know, it activates you, motivates you to, to act. It, it activates empathy. Um, so there are all sorts of reasons why, in, in my opinion, and I think in many people's opinions, stories are a tool that can connect us when almost nothing else can. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of our common language. We all get it in all of our programming, whether it's the trainings that we do or the events that we do or the story collecting projects that we do try to emphasize that there are, you know, for all of our differences, and there are many, <laughs> the contours of our lives are, are really the same because we're all human beings. And so we all have stories about a first crush. We all have stories about a person or a place we had to let go. We all have stories about a time we felt we had no voice. These are things that are part of the human condition and stories allow us to be the, you know, stories are like the connective tissue. Give us a sense as to just kind of the mechanics, you know, yeah. how, does the, how does this all work? Yeah. So there are, um, I think, a, a, a few different tools that I can just sort of touch on. It'll take you a little bit through the programming, but the, the first thing that we do um, and is really a found has become a foundational piece of our work is we've developed a training called the curiosity and connection training. And so that is everyone who goes out and collects stories in the community has to go through that training, but also that training has become quite popular in communities for that are just looking to strengthen communication and belonging inside, um, whether it's a school or a prison or a workplace. And the, the training is, is really pretty simple. It strengthens listening communication skills through this activity of learning how to interview someone else about their life. So it's a two hour training. And so people go through that training and again, you know, either it ends there and, and, and helps them, you know, cross departmental divides or, or helps them talk to neighbors in a different way, or they can go on to collect the stories of their neighbors. Now we do a bunch of different kinds of story collecting. It can be, you sit down with a neighbor that you, you would like to know, and you just learn a little bit about their life and the story is recorded. That story then is edited and published on our website. So that is a sort of like a get to know your neighbors kind of story collecting. And more recently during the pandemic, we've started doing more targeted story collecting. Mm -hmm. So there are social justice issues now that organizations or institutions have contacted us and sort of said, we want to explore these issues through stories. Can you do that? And then people go through the training and then we then they collect stories on that specific topic. Do you think that Boston is particularly suited for this kind of a program? I love Boston deeply. It's an amazing city. And it's struggled for many, many years with divisions. We are in, in many ways a, a divided city, street by street and neighborhood by neighborhood. You know, the most famous display of this, of course, was in 74, I think it was, with the forced integration of Boston public schools and the ugliness that came out of that. That wound is deep, deep, deep in Boston and has, has had a tremendous ripple effect. Also, there's a huge class divide as well. 
but you know, this is something Boston has struggled with um, for, for years. I think, you know, we at Everyday Boston like to sort of say that our vision is that Boston becomes the most connected city in America. Sometimes we get some smirks when we say that. We absolutely believe it's possible. We have got in this city the grit to do it. We have got the determination. We got the smarts. We got the creativity. We've just got to push forward with that. And so I, I think Everyday Boston, you know, wants to. Uh, that is part of our. That is that is our vision, really, to start at the ground level, build out through these relationships, and really build a culture of curiosity and connection in the city. I will tell you one, if I can, just one little story that I think is that is related to that time and, and Boston's divides. Uh, one of our founding members in Everyday Boston, he is um, mm-hmm. the first founding member, actually. His name is George Powell. He was um, mm-hmm. six months out of prison when he when he joined Everyday Boston. He's become the North Star of the organization. I talked to him every week. I mean, he's just his hands are all, all over the programming and has shaped this organization in profound ways. He, in the early days of Everyday Boston, had a conversation with one of the other founding members from a very, so George is Black from a neighborhood called Roxbury. Uh, he had a conversation with one of the other founding members, um, Kathy, who lives in, uh, who grew up in a white neighborhood called Charlestown about that era. And that conversation was so foundational to him. He had always thought about that time through the lens of his own, uh, you know, the people that he grew up with. um, Black Mm -hmm. community. And he heard stories from her about uh, her own experiences as a high high school student caught up in all of that in a white neighborhood and what she lost and and the the grief that came with that. Um, And it was so foundational to him that he had started to write, learn to write screenplays in prison. And what happened was he wrote a screenplay about this. That screenplay was then made into a movie. And it all started from a conversation that shifted his way of thinking about the city, about people, about you know the power of listening. And so to me, that's a pretty profound ripple effect. If anything proves your thesis, um, <laughs> I, 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 guess, I guess that does. What you're trying to do could be filtered down through each of those entities that make up a community, government, mm-hmm. schools, yes, houses of worship, yes, you know, to really create a culture. Yeah. And wow, what incredible possibilities could come from that. Oh, Naomi, I don't know whether you can see, but I have small tears in my eyes. <laughs> Because this is exactly my vision. It literally is. It's the vision. And I think, you know, we are, what we have accomplished, I think, together as an organization, I'm so proud of and excited about, but it's all been done with one full-time staff person. Right. So that is the future. I mean, that's exactly the strategy is to find strategic partners, whether it's a government, you know, a government agency, a school, a university, you know, a a work company and 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 say to them listen we've got these tools like all of your new let's say it's a company all of your new employees we can do employee you know the training for them our curiosity and connection training will plug them right in to the skills that they need to succeed and, and create community and to the other people pieces of our story sharing activities could be woven into staff meetings you know our story collecting projects could be 
deployed inside a company to under better understand a, a particular challenge or to highlight the voices of, of folks in, in that company. So that's just an example of you know, how we might engage with corporate Boston. Um, certainly the application in schools is, is pretty obvious. I think yeah, all, I... of our, all of these tools, um, strength in communication and listening skills and understanding and folks of all ages at this point are really, you know, we seem to have forgotten how to listen to each other and talk to each other. And we need a refresher course, which is what (laughs) everyday Boston (laughs) does. What you're providing. Right. And then Um, the opera, but critically the opportunity to use those skills and you have to do it repeatedly, right? You can't just do it a one run. There is so much dissension. There is so much discord Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're sort of presenting hope. I think we've come up with this model that I think we built it with people. <laughs> we built it, you know, right. uh, with people of all ages. If we, if we have a program that works specifically with people coming home from prison, that program is shaped and customized by people coming home from prison. So I think the model is there. Tell us a little bit about what you call the bridge project. You know, I mentioned the youth, I mentioned workplace, and we also work on college campuses. All of these are just different demographics. We're applying the same tool, essentially, same tools, the trainings, the story share events, story collecting projects with the different population. And so the Bridge Project is just that. Um, Bridge Project was clearly inspired by George, whom I mentioned earlier. The idea really is that all these problems that we've been talking about, all these challenges with communication, all these challenges with fitting in, feeling like you belong, these challenges are, the stakes are so much higher for people coming home. If they don't know how to communicate with a range of people, if they don't feel like they belong, you know, in addition to all the challenges of housing and employment and all those kinds of things, these skills and these experiences that I think Everyday Boston can provide turn out to be critical, I think, in in the lives of of some of the folks who are involved in the bridge project. Um, So I think there are the reentry landscape is getting a lot of attention right now, which is long overdue. A lot more focus on on helping people with the basics, like I said, housing, employment, education. I think what's oftentimes missing is this sense of the soft skills and the sense of belonging. And people might say, oh, sense of belonging, that's not such a big deal. It actually really is the loneliness. And it is. Yeah, the loneliness that people talk about is, it's it's imperative that we address that with folks who are coming home to the extent that they experience it and plug them um, into into the community in positive ways, because studies show that that actually cuts down on on recidivism. The thing that I get the most positive feedback from members of the Bridge, Bridge Project about is that connect, the ability to connect with folks in the community that they would not otherwise know, to be seen as equals, to be seen as neighbors, um, to mm-hmm. learn from them and for them from those people to learn um, from the members of the Bridge Project. And so it's not, this is not a charity model. No. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a neighbor to neighbor model. You know, every morning I get a text that just says "Good morning" from from one of the members of the Bridge Project, and he was somebody who went through the training, and then when he got out, he actually got in touch and wanted to be a part of Everyday Boston, and so he he started texting me "Good morning," and I said, you know, I texted, I 
said, had a conversation with him. I said, you know, I just let you know, like, I'm not great at texting. I'm not going to be having a conversation every morning. He said, nope, don't expect it. I just, I wake up in the morning and I text all the positive people in my life to remind myself, you know, wow, that human connection. That's it. That's it. And he just wants to know, and I'm, I'm not the only person on his list, obviously, but yeah, he wants to call up the image of people who are rooting for him. And this is right. somebody who, who just passed a really important milestone. He hadn't been out for longer than a year since 1998. He's got a job. He's got a stable job. He's staying with his sister. He's volunteering. He's involved with Everyday Boston. He's just asked me for another hoodie. He loves his hoodie. He got very involved in the, the Valentine's Day challenge. You know, he was handing out Valentine's Day, Valentine's cards at work and talking to people that he'd never talked to before. The pandemic, how did it impact your work? We developed some a few different story collecting projects. So we connected um, young people with elders by phone. Uh, we did a series mm-hmm. uh, called How We Got Through. And the idea was to really talk to elders about how they got through tough times. We also did something called the Essential People Project right away, which was highlighting essential workers, um, interviews. Uh, these were Zoom interviews. We did remote story sharing events. We did our training online. So basically we did what people needed. Well, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your morning, especially a Monday morning. We're looking forward to seeing some more really exciting things coming out of Everyday Boston. Oh my goodness, Naomi, this has been such a gift. Thank you so much for talking so long to me and for being such a, as they say, I think in this, in this world, such a thought partner. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love it. It's the it ba- absolute model of what a, a grantor should um, be. I think. And I, I, I hadn't thought of that thought partner, but I think I, I like that term. Yeah. Great. Thanks again. Thank you so much. <laughs>